Well, the virus has now killed more than 100 people in China, and new cases have been confirmed around the world. So you don't want to frighten the American public. France and South Korea have also got evacuation plans. But you need to prepare for and assume. Strongly warning Americans to avoid all non-essential travel to China. That this is going to be a real serious problem. France, Australia, Canada, the US, Singapore, Cambodia, Vietnam, the list goes on. Health officials are investigating more than 100 possible cases in the US. Germany, a man has uh, contracted the virus. The epidemic is a demon and we cannot let this demon hide. Japan, where a bus driver uh, contracted the virus. Coronavirus has killed more than 100 people there and infected more than 4,500. We have to prepare for the worst, always, because if you don't and the worst happens. War Room Pandemic. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. Just to be clear, on the date she's saying starting tomorrow, all officers will leave right. Portland. Is, is that not the case? So, Bill, again, I was I certainly getting to that point. So, absolutely not. We are not leaving Portland uh, until we are assured that that courthouse is safe and secure. We'll continue to keep uh, law enforcement officers in the area to make sure that that courthouse is secure uh, at the end of the day. Now, again, over time, if the Oregon State Police and the plan that is put in place is successful, then we can responsibly draw down uh, law enforcement assets there in Portland. We will. We need to make sure that, that the plan that they have in place is going to work. This is Jack Maxey. Welcome back to the War Room, sitting in the catbird seat here for Stephen K. Bannon. Today, 7, July 30th, 2020, year of our Lord. We've got Pandemic, Episode 307. We've got a bomb lineup today. We've got David Rifkin, attorney at Baker Hostetter, talking about the bar and tech hearings, followed by Matt Getz. We've got Joanna Bianco president and founder of the American Bondholders Foundation. And sitting with me today is Dr. Jan. I'd like to make a shout out to our distribution partners, Newsmax at Night, uh, America's Voice News Live. We are on the John Fredericks Radio Network, and we are blown through the Chinese firewall by G News in the afternoon, translated into Mandarin. This whole show is about keeping you ahead of the curve, and that's exactly what we're going to do today. Stephen K. Bannon, over to you. Yeah, thank, uh, thank, uh, Jack. Look, it's a day of announcement this morning, Jack. As you know, I think the greatest uh, drop percentage-wise in uh, GDP uh, in history. I think even greater in the Great Depression. Another 1.4 million uh, people filed for unemployment claims. Obviously, this huge debate going up hill. The bid in the ass. The spread is huge between what the next uh, relief bill is going to be. So complete economic turmoil right now, uh, driven by this uh, CCP pandemic. Right. And and what we try to do here in the show is really point the finger and try to hold accountable who's who's uh, responsible for this mess out in Portland. You have the other aspect of this uh, of this great global fight against communism. You have these uh, anarchists, these uh, believers in cultural Marxism that want to take the entire system down. This is not the peaceful protesters that are associated with Mr. Floyd and all the issues about his murder, all the issues about. Uh, racism in some of these police departments, or the selection of the training, all of that, uh, which people have the right to assembly. This is a, this is a revolutionary groups, cultural Marxists with deep connections on a global basis, funding worldwide, well trained. And out in Portland, Oregon, I think they're in the 70th, 70th day of an attack upon the uh, upon uh, federal facilities out there. President Trump has uh, has augmented, uh, you know, ICE, uh, Border Patrol, etc. Some of those experienced people. And now it looks like, you know, on the stage of the other day, Jack, we were talking about with Posobiec, 
the mayor wanted to negotiate, no negotiations, unconditional surrender. And, uh, and it looks like, to me, it looks like you've got, uh, you've got some backpedaling here. President Trump, I think this morning said, hey, if the local officials can't handle it, I'll send it to the National Guard. Well, I think there's a lot of confusion going on. You know, action means action. Action doesn't mean some sort of passive aggressive tweet that we're going to stand guys down. And I think last night with, uh, with the uh, lack of show of force or even the pulling back a little bit of federal, uh, federal authority, is giving the uh, is giving the Antifa guys a win, uh, you know. Local authority, if local authority could have handled it, they would have handled it weeks and weeks and weeks ago. So I want to bring in now David Rifkin. Uh, David Rifkin, senior partner over at Baker Hosteller, uh, was a guy that really was walked us through and, and helped us so much in war room impeachment. One of the smartest uh, voices out there in the legal community. He's got a number of great uh, op eds coming out uh, in the Wall Street Journal, and now is a guy also focused on this China situation. But but David. I want to talk to you about the hearing of Barr the other day. That's total disrespect showed to the attorney general. But here's the question I've got. Revolver had this story yesterday that DOJ is not doing enough and that Barr is a little concerned inside of DOJ. Uh, whether they, you know, we win or lose this election, there's a lot of pushback on DOJ of actually getting out there and, 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 uh, and rounding people up and arresting them, right, for insurrection and for, and for conspiracy to riot. So I'd like to have your thoughts. What's your perception of what's going on in, in Portland? And do you think this is a defeat for the country and particularly a defeat for President Trump? Well, I hope it's not a defeat for the president, but it's a political calculus as important as it is. Let's talk about what's going on. What's going on is, is completely appalling. You do, in fact, have uh, something approaching the state of insurrection. As you mentioned earlier, 70 days were for rioting and looting. A lot of it is directed at the federal facility, specifically federal courthouse. Uh, I mean, the, the, these things cannot be tolerated. Uh, the, the, the notion that the federal government cannot defend uh, its interests. Uh, okay, David, 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 yeah. David. The, the federal courthouse represents the rule of law. I run the rule of law society trying to bring the rule of law to the people in China, to the poor citizens in China. We're trying to set an example. The anarchists and the Marxists have targeted the federal courthouse for one reason. They understand that's, that stands for the rule of law in the United States of America. And it's under assault every night. And we've done nothing to clear the thing out. We've tried to protect it, but not to clear it out. So how do you say this is not a defeat? And how do you say we're not genuflecting to the anarchists? Well, uh, look, uh, you're asking, uh, so we both agree that federal facilities should be protected. Now, what we're talking about now is specific tactics can be utilized. Uh, look, uh, I'm all in favor of vigorous defense that would include taking into custody everybody who's assaulting federal facilities. I'm in favor of providing their proper investigative uh, facts of arresting people who are engaged in this kind of activity, who are planning it, contributing to it, funding it, uh, utilizing the, the, the full panoply of federal statutes, including RICO. I have every confidence that DOJ under General Barr is doing everything possible in this domain. Uh, on the other hand, one thing you don't want to do is you don't want to have arrests that uh, would not hold up uh, in indictments that would not issue or indictments would not be upheld. I mean, look, uh, operating by the book, unfortunately, does have its costs, but uh, give it give it a bit more time. I would not make much of a fact that perhaps on the ground uh, the federal agents were not as as uh, uh, assertive in the last couple of days as before. Give it time, but I, I do want to dramatize one point for your listeners. Look, federal facilities have to be 
absolutely protected. That's essential. Uh, that's what this republic stands for. We cannot pull back. As far as the general lawlessness and mayhem, I think the administration correctly decided that elections have consequences. People in Portland who elected the mayor and the city council were basically allowing Antifa to engage in, in, in all sorts of uh, violent and criminal activities. Well, why should you have a federal government uh, bring in federal assets to do that? Let the people of Portland basically reap what they've sown. I may sound harsh, but uh, I am I, certainly not in favor of broadening the range of, uh, of a federal mission in places like Portland. Well, and why is that again? You're saying that since the people elected uh, progressive mayors and a progressive uh, governor, if they can't handle it, let, let, them, let them reap what they sow. They're sowing the, world, they're sowing the, uh, the wind, let them reap the whirlwind. That is that is correct, uh, and to the extent that we are able to protect federal facilities, dramatizing the distinction between law and order that the federal government is able to maintain. Uh, I, I frankly think that it's going to go out of style, even in places like Portland, soon enough. Look, the last thing we want from both political but also policy standpoint, this is to me would be the same as bailing out deeply indebted blue states with uh, federal handouts. There has to be accountability. That's the most important principle of a democracy. Uh, if people elected particular politicians, be de Blasio in New York, uh, I don't remember, unfortunately, the name of a man in Portland or Seattle, and they're doing absolutely atrocious, uh, horrible type of governance, putting at risk, as, as you probably know, the Seattle police chief wrote a letter to the city council basically saying they can no longer provide protection for property given the restrictions that the city council has uh, imposed on the use of crowd control agents like tear gas or, uh, or pepper spray. Um, let people take it on board. If they want to live in that kind of world, it's up to them. Yeah, but David, but, David, David, David I, the, theoretically, okay, theoretically we can have a debate. The anarchists are targeting a federal facility that stands for the rule of law. They understand we, we have Dr. Jan in the studio uh, now, uh, Luda, another famous uh, expatriate defector that, that hammers the Chinese Communist Party every day. And the principal thing they hammer them on is not so much democracy as rule of law. The anarchists and the cultural Marxists, are these are smart, tough people. They're, they're focused on not the city council. They're not focused on the mayor's office. They're focused on the federal courthouse. And why are they focused on the federal courthouse? They understand it's federal law that can put them away. And they're trying to show that the United, in front of the whole world that the United States of America cannot defend the rule of law. Right now, if it wasn't for this pandemic, you couldn't get in that courthouse to conduct the business of the people. So tell um, me, I understand the theory about mayors, but I'm talking about you, this is an attack on the rule of law in this country. To be and clear, if they had the I'm normal business going on, you couldn't vigorous, get there. I'm all in favor of vigorous law enforcement operations to protect the federal courthouse, not only against uh, attacks as they unfold, but in, in favor of uh, provided sufficient evidence can be developed of arresting and charging people who are planning these types of activities. I'm all in favor of it. I was trying to draw a distinction between defending federal facilities, including the federal courthouse you're talking about, and just in general helping cities like Portland deal with mayhem and, and rioting and looting that does not involve federal facilities. That's, that's all I'm saying. Uh, I cannot agree with you more. Yeah, David, let me just ask you, given the footage you've seen, wouldn't you say DOJ? Now we have Revolver, which is a conservative right-wing site that says, "Hey, Barr, for all his toughness, is kind of backing off 
flooding the zone in Portland and in Seattle with U.S. attorneys and start really rounding guys up and having mass arrests. Do you think, to your knowledge of what you've seen, and I realize you're in D.C., you're removed like we are, but from the footage, what you've seen, do you think the Justice Department is being as aggressive as it needs to be to round people up and hold them accountable and start indicting these guys? I think I have every confidence that uh, Attorney General is doing everything that can be done. Um, there are obviously a lot of uh, very important priorities. You obviously have some some problems in the Justice Department in the past, uh, Russian hoax, et cetera, et cetera. I, I think that uh, there is uh, an appropriate rollout of law enforcement as well as investigative activities. But look, again, you mentioned the rule of law several times. You do not want, for example, to arrest people and charge people unless you think there's sufficient evidence to get the indictment and ultimately get a conviction. I mean, that's how things are supposed to work. These people, unfortunately, are well organized. I'm sure they're utilizing the best communication security procedures, probably talking on signal or what's up, all sorts of encryption. Uh, we're talking about very sophisticated and well-funded people. But, but, but give it time. I, I am convinced that everything that can be done is being done. David, real quickly, we've got about 90 seconds left. Just your overall impression. You're one of the great uh, lawyers and, and, and really wise men in D.C. What is your view of uh, the hearing with uh, General Barr the other day, just the, how, the, how people comported themselves? Appalling. I mean, more appalling than usual. I mean, clearly a political play by the Democrats. I think that, uh, uh, that Barr has done a great job. But beyond that, look, uh, unfortunately, the media did not carry it. But the American people need to realize, basically, House Democrats are 100 percent behind Antifa, and they're even living in an alternative universe. They're denying that these types of activities are taking place. I mean, if you listen to Natalie and others. So I think they, they need to be held accountable for that. I, I, I really hope that American people can be brought this information. That they, As far as the House Democrats are concerned, this is all fine. Nothing, nothing is wrong. It's a peaceful protesters. Ridiculous. David, how do people get to your uh, uh, Twitter? How do people get access to your writings? I know you're in the op-ed section of the journal all the time. How do people get access to you? I do have, uh, I do have uh, social media presence. I'm afraid I do have a Facebook account and uh, and a Twitter account. So um, just Google my name and uh, and go with this. But I mean, this is a very, frankly, I think this problem is a more dangerous than pandemic. This is a very dangerous situation. Okay, guys, we're going to wow. take a short David break Rifkin, here for a couple so commercials. We'll be right back with Matt Getz, who's going to be talking about his new book that I recommend everybody buy. Take care. We'll be back in a sec. War Room Pandemic with Stephen K. Bannon. The epidemic is a demon, and we cannot let this demon hide. War Room Pandemic. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. This is Jack Maxey sitting in the catbird seat for Stephen K. Bannon here in the embassy on Capitol Hill. This is episode 307. We're pleased to introduce Matt Getz, congressman from Florida. We're going to be talking about his new book, Firebrand, about adventures in the swamp. And also recommend his very good podcast called Hot Takes with Matt Getz. Steve, back to you. Listen, in this economic inferno, you saw today the greatest percentage drop of GDP in the history of the country, another 1.4 million people on unemployment insurance. 
The way through this is entrepreneurs. If you're an entrepreneur, NetSuite by Oracle is your software. Remember, Oracle is the number one platform on the cloud. NetSuite by Oracle is the number one platform, software platform for entrepreneurs. Go to netsuite.com slash Bannon, B-A-N-N-O-N, to get your seven action steps every entrepreneur should be taking during this time of turmoil. Now I want to turn to the congressman. Uh, first off, uh, Congressman, uh, we just had David Rifkin on, who's considered one of the, you know, the, the wise men of Washington. And he said at the end about Barr's uh, hearing, it's obvious that the congressional Democrats are 100 percent in back of Antifa, not just the peaceful protesters of the uh, about Mr. Floyd and his murder and all the situations with racism and all that. But this is about these cultural Marxists, the, the cultural Marxist part of Black Lives Matter and the revolutionary anarchist of Antifa out in Portland. He said that the virus that they're spreading in these cities is worse than the pandemic. What say you, sir? I think the most important part of the attorney general's testimony was when he talked about the risk of this violence spreading substantially and the organizing infrastructure provided by Antifa. We've seen through the releases of Project Veritas, we've seen through the testimony of the attorney general who's reviewed the intelligence, that this is not just an apparatus that is ad hoc, that they, they communicate with one another, they organize specifically around events, and they even give tactical advice to the people engaging in these riots to gouge eyes out with thumbs to be as uh, violent and as hateful as possible. And so it's, it's my hope and my expectation that the Department of Justice will attack this terrorist network with the same vigor that we would attack a terrorist network in the Middle East. Uh, this is a lot more dangerous to us. It's bringing violence to our streets. I think the Attorney General appreciates and understands the nature of the challenge. And the Democrats really have become the party of Antifa now. I mean, look, Antifa has scared regular Americans, but now they're scaring the Democrat politicians because in Washington, the Democrat politicians know that if they don't virtue signal to Antifa, that a lot of the big time billionaire leftist fundraisers that are funding Antifa will not fund their PACs and their campaigns and their super PACs and their leadership ambitions. You know, Revolver's a site that's trying to be one of the many alternatives to drudge. They had a story the other day about the Justice Department under, under General Barr. Actually, when you get down to the working level, they've been very standoffish when it comes to Portland. You're a lawyer and, and, and a damn good one. Do you see, and I'll, let's, I'm going to leave the, the Secretary Wolf and DHS for, in a second. I want to get your thoughts on that. But I'm talking about the legal aspect of this. Do you see the aggressive nature of people being arrested, people being indicted, people being rounded up? I mean, we're in the, what, the 72nd, 73rd day of this out in Portland. It's been going on longer than that in, in, in Seattle. I understand it's been stood down a little bit. But are you seeing in your uh, understanding as a lawyer the aggressive, you think DOJ is being as aggressive as it should be? Whether it's the police, the National Guard, the military, or the Department of Justice, America cannot let her great cities fall to the mob. The way this looks to our fellow countrymen and women, the way it looks to the world, is absolutely tragic. I do believe that we could showcase the work at DOJ a lot better. I'd be perp walking these people. I'd, I would absolutely make a show of the fact that we're not going to tolerate this and that we're going to utilize police powers and arrest powers to keep our streets safe and to, to keep federal property safe. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think there could be a little more uh, stagecraft to how the department is is handling some of these prosecutions and arrests. Yeah, Steve, going back to what Rifkin now you said. Hit Secretary, 
they need yep. evidence. Right. If you go to the Department of Justice in Oregon, they've actually arrested over 50 people in the last couple of days. And one of the problems that they have, obviously, with Rifkin saying is they need hard evidence. In some of the press releases, they actually have photographic evidence of the people committing the crime. So I think part of the problem is they've got to get these guys indicted by a grand jury. Well, but they need to use the specific RICO tools, right? If if the Department of Justice would indict Antifa under the RICO statute rather than hunting and pecking each each little shit kicker out there, you know, uh, you you know, my thought would be that we could uh, then associate participation with the network as a criminal act. Right. I mean, it, th- that is the the value of the RICO statute is that your participation in the enterprise is is the requisite criminal act for an arrest or an indictment. Here, if we're just playing whack-a-mole with every little dirtbag, uh, I think it will be far more difficult to get control and to and to bring well, down on, the on. network. But 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 Gates, you as always, you get right to the heart of it. Do you think that we're using the RICO statute and other these insurrection statutes that are made? So that you can get in back of these conspiracies, you can get in back of these networks. It's a this is a network effect. You so Barr mentioned this Rico, is not just well funded. These are well trained. Yeah. So Barr referenced what, Rico I yesterday, think, and I don't think he would you have think done it's it. Being implemented. Uh, honestly, I think that we have sufficient evidence yeah. now to indict uh, Antifa under the Rico statute, and I see no reason for delay. Well, the good thing is then we could probably okay, go after the funders the too. It, Right, the people who are funding this are then a part yeah, of the go, conspiracy. Let go, let as go, absolutely, let me go to the other part. Let me go. Great point. Absolutely, the funders, the whole network of it. Let me go to the other part, Wolf, the 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 actual enforcement part. Um, president Trump is not just a law and order president. He's he's a safety of the American way of life president. This is one of the great things I think he brought up in in sixteen. It's clearly the country's more focused on this than ever. Matt, I run, and you see some of the Chinese dissidents we have in the war room today. Some of these brave people that have left are whistleblowing about the pandemic. I run. I'm chairman of the Rule of Law Society. Cal Bass is chairman of the Rule of Law Foundation. We're trying to bring the rule of law to communist China. The, the, the DHS and the and ICE and Customs and Border have been the, the thin, you know, the thin blue line out there to protect this federal courthouse, which they clearly targeted because of the rule of law. Now we're getting mixed messages. Are we going to withdraw our, our troops out of there, withdraw these federal things, and turn it back over to obviously the police force out there that doesn't have the back of these progressive, uh, the mayor, the progressive city council, the progressive governor. It's all a joke. What do you think should happen there? And President Trump said this morning, I think he would call in National Guard if they couldn't do the job. But do you believe we should even be withdrawing one of the Border Patrol, one of these ICE agents, one of these federal agents that are defending this federal courthouse? We should be reinforcing the federal assets that are protecting Americans and that are protecting the property of the United States of America. We should not be withdrawing one of them. And by the way, it was Chad Wolf briefing Republican members of Congress who said that if we withdraw, these buildings will fall. And if you start to see one federal courthouse fall, one federal building fall, that is going to ignite violence all over the country. And so this is a seminal moment. I would not withdraw anyone. I would double down. And, and I would make sure in every other city in America, we send the message that we are not going to become Portland, that we are not going to let this violence spread. And uh, I think not only is there a moral and a patriotic obligation to do this, there is a legal obligation to do this. The, the DHS, under their 
organizing and authorizing statutes have a legal obligation to protect federal property. Wolf has said if they withdraw, that federal property will fall. And then that is the legal buttress to what, to what I think is just common sense for any American. You know, Steve, one of our viewers from China just put a you post have- on the live stream yeah. and they said, backing down to the Antifa is just like backing down to the CCP. They both have the aim of destroying America. And it really is. It's that simple. It's that simple. It's that simple. This is why it's about the rule of law. Matt, we're going to get to the tech part in a second. Um, But one last thing. Do you believe if there was any negotiations, they're saying now, oh, the local authority would do it. Do you think that the progressive merit there, the governor, we could we could rely upon anything that they could tell us that they would actually stand up and protect this federal courthouse and the rule of law in, in Portland? I wouldn't trust that mayor to protect a chicken coop. Much less the city. I mean, what would he went out there to bow before the mob and then they'd chastise him anyway? I mean, look, weakness and retreat are not a strategy. Okay, those are just conditions that you have to live through until you get strong leadership in place. So, you know, I, I think though. Like there are some libertarians who say, well, hell, if people want to live in these places with all these people that have kind of these surrender first strategy, then let people live there. I just there are our fellow Americans live in Portland. We have good people who live in Seattle, San Francisco, Los Angeles, and they do not deserve this. And we need to let them know that as our fellow Americans, we're going to have their back and we're not going to allow this cancer to metastasize across the country. I think we got a couple of minutes, so we got to get to the next uh, to commercial break. But Matt, you actually one of the reasons I think people admire you and you've got so much support is that you are a firebrand. Before this tech hearing even started, we'll get into the details next segment. But you you went to the Justice Department. I said you thought you should have you pushed a a criminal referral on Zuckerberg. Tell our audience about that. Mark Zuckerberg has perjured himself before the United States Congress, and I think Sundar Pichai has perjured himself in front of the United States Congress. Both said previously that there is no mechanism by which an individual employee can go and manipulate the digital outcomes on their platforms. That was a lie. We now have seen through leaked videos, through leaked documents, a lot of fantastic reporting from Breitbart and from the Daily Caller on on this, getting the inside information out along with Project Veritas. And, And now we know that they were not being truthful about that, and they had to fess up to that yesterday in the tech hearing before the Judiciary Committee. Hey, guys, hold that thought because we only have about 30 seconds left. Matt Getz here is going to talk to us about how we are going to take down big tech, how we are going to protect federal properties, and how we are going to lead to victory in the fall. This is very serious, people. The whole world is watching our response to the anarchy in the streets. This does not reflect America. This does not reflect Americanism. And it certainly does not reflect the MAGA revolution. We'll be back in just a minute. War Room Pandemic with Stephen K. Bannon. The epidemic is a demon, and we cannot let this demon hide. War Room Pandemic. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. This is Jack Maxey sitting in the captain's seat Actually, here. I'm going to reclaim my time on this bring back, Jack. And uh, this is Congressman Matt Gates. You're listening to <laughs> Steve Bannon's War Room Pandemic alongside Jack Maxey. And... Uh, 
you know, I'm the host of the Hot Takes podcast. So listen, subscribe, and I've got a book coming out. It's called Firebrand. And one of the, my favorite parts of the book is when I get to write about Steve Bannon, the very first person I spoke to after we stormed that skiff, brought light to the moment, and brought visuals to the challenge that we were in. So Steve, tell me what it's like to uh, be the great mastermind of our movement and tell me what's cooking in mainland China. Hold it! I, I'm far from the from the from the mastermind, but I got to tell you, that's when we started referring to uh, to Matt Gates as Speaker Gates when we brought him on the show and wore him impeachment. Hey, Jack Maxey, I want you to write this down. You just got nadlered. By, uh, just by, got by nadlered. It's one of the reasons we love that's right. The, the People's Court has just, just taken got me nadlered. out. Put, put your mask on. <laughs> so, 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 hey, uh, con- Congressman, here's a, listen. You're one of the driving forces intellectually. And back of this kind of movement about what big tech's doing to this country and is it taking it in the right direction? Give us your, yesterday was historic antitrust hearing. Give us your take on what went on between you and the Democrats and, and the four horsemen of the tech apocalypse that represented the tech world yesterday. Well, I thought that the populist Republicans were going to be tough on the tech giants. You should see what the Democrats did to them. I mean, the Democrats went for the jugular against uh, Zuckerberg and Google and Amazon and Apple. And I think that bipartisanship likely informs on the potential for us to have some progress to push back against these monopolies that control what we see because they want to control what we think, and then ultimately they want to control how we act. You know, Steve, the the frustration I have is that these companies claim to be American companies with American values, but in their behavior, it's an America-last approach. Take Google. Google pulls out of Project Maven, which is a partnership with the United States military to ensure greater survivability of our fighting force. They pull out of that as a result of ethical concerns, and then they've got no problem empowering the Communist Chinese Party uh, in partnerships with uh, Tsinghua University, where the Chinese military is pouring in tens of millions of dollars right alongside Google. Actually, Google Talent is co-authoring papers with the Chinese Academy of Sciences that is helping the Chinese striker aircraft, the J-20, become more effective in targeting. So they got no problem making Chinese fighter jets more effective in targeting, but then they have ethical concerns working alongside the United States military. And it's not just that Google is working to make China stronger as they make America weaker. Too many of their policies are making America more like China with the censorship and with the control of the flow of information. Now, back in December, Sundar Pichai came to the Judiciary Committee and he said that there was not a mechanism by which people could individually manipulate search. But now that we've seen these memos and videos come out, he had to admit that his employees have the ability to blacklist news sites, to blacklist uh, search results, and to impact what people see. And it's no coincidence then that you see websites like the Gateway Pundit, uh, the Spectator, a Daily Caller, negatively treated on Google and not getting the same reach as some of these left-wing blogs for billionaires that masquerade as news organizations. And so uh, I think that that highlighting that hypocrisy with China is a a very important lens for us to evaluate the big tech debate. 
You know, I want to just interject one thing here about what do you Google think? cooperating with the J20. Ahead, the J20 Jack. is basically a copy of the American F-22, all exactly. right? So they stole our technology, developed an aircraft using that technology, and then Google cooperated with them to polish out all the kinks. Yes. This is outrageous. And, and it was actually Raheem Kassam's reporting at the National Pulse that guided some of my questions because he's able to actually track the human talent that, that Google goes and, and curates and develops and then sends to China to do joint ventures at these universities that have this extensive Chinese military presence. It's no coincidence that General Dunford, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, said that Google is directly helping the Chinese military. That should concern us as Americans, especially when they don't want to help our military because of ethical concerns. Now, now, why does this matter in the context of what we were discussing with Antifa and this anti-police movement? Well. Thousands of Googlers have now petitioned that company to deprive digital access to members of law enforcement. So imagine being a cop trying to serve your community, trying to keep people protected who are your neighbors, and now all of a sudden you can't get Gmail. Now all of a sudden you can't get access to basic digital services. Is this the future of the new woke-topia, where the people who are patriotic and want to actually defend us and help us are, are blacklisted, shamed, shadow banned? Uh, that's, I'm not here for that. That's not the America I want to live in. So I'm glad we got a commitment from Sundar Pichai that he is not going to adopt the bigoted anti-police policies that some of his employees have called for. But it tells us a lot about who's working at these companies and what their goals are and what their ambitions are. And it is not to have our country win. Listen, when you say commitment, I mean, you, you said a criminal referral before the hearing started. You actually said the guy, the CEO of Google, uh, purchased himself earlier. What kind of commitments? Like, what was the most important thing that came out of the hearings as far as action in your perspective? Action that's going to be taken to make sure that they can't put up a firewall. They already support the firewall in China that oppressed the Chinese people. How do you stop it from bu really building and continue to build this firewall they've got here in the United States? What, what type of commitments? Are, is it going to be more regulation or are you just going to take their word for it? Let me be honest with you, Steve. Big tech buys off Congress. I, I write about this in great detail in my book, in my Big Tech Hates America chapter. But like, you know, what they do is they buy off the politicians, they hire their family members, and then they go and buy off their staffs. And so like the notion that Congress is going to be the responsive force to big tech tyranny, I think is, is, is perhaps not accurate. We do need active litigation by the Department of Justice. It is my expectation that the antitrust action by the Department of Justice against Google will change behaviors because if you're one of these tech platforms and there is an active case against you, you don't want to develop evidence that strengthens that case. And so I think that can change the culture. But we have to have court orders that demand transparency, that allow us to look behind the curtain, that prove that these are in fact neutral platforms. because. The government went and created special exemptions in the law that allowed these digital platforms to grow. Now they've become huge. They destroy the competition underneath them. And, and then they shift the political debate to the left because that is in line with their Silicon Valley woketopian values. And if we want to preserve debate, if we want a debate that's even available for us to go win, we have to have a space where that debate can occur fairly. And so the, the action 
to watch for our listeners, for our viewers, is, is the antitrust lawsuit by the Department of Justice specifically against Google. Google is the most dangerous of all. Like, you know, I got problems with, with all the major tech platforms, but Google is the most dangerous because of their control over search and because a lot of people don't realize the bias. A lot of people think, well, if I just go and enter a search query into Google, I'm getting the information I'm looking for. And that is not true. You're getting the information that, that some Googler wants you to see. Another way to look at this, Steve, is Do you think when we talk about yeah. the social credit yeah. rating that the Chinese yes. Communist Party is using on their people, right? This is official. We have an unofficial social credit rating system that is being operated behind the curtain by Google, by Twitter, by Facebook. They are defining who gets to be heard. And that is no different, really, fundamentally than what the Chinese Communist Party is doing inside their own country. Yeah, in America, we, we've allowed the social credit score to be privatized. Yeah, I mean, we have allowed the social credit score of China to be privatized in our country by big tech. Jack's exactly right. So, Steve, do you, do, you, do you believe that ultimately, that just like Ma Bell back in the 80s and 90s, do you think we ought to, number one, break up this big tech? Because those four companies that sat there yesterday, their market cap, is greater than the entire Tokyo Stock Exchange, all the great industrial companies and banks that Tokyo has, Japanese economy has. Those four are have larger market caps than the entire Tokyo Stock Exchange. Do you believe, just like Ma Bell, they should be broken up and then made public utilities? Well, the sad truth is, if you ask most Americans, which do you want to break up and demolish first, Amazon or Congress? Congress would probably end up on the short end of the stick there. Uh, but I do think that there are remedies. There are re like they have an 80 percent approval rating. We have a 30 percent. I'm sorry, 13 percent approval rating. So uh, I think that it's important to access other transparency and disclosure remedies. And honestly, if they had to turn the cards face up, they'd probably play it fair. Like we're not asking for some special advantage as conservatives. We just want a fair forum in which to share our ideas and access information. And I think we can get to transparency remedies before breaking them up that, that will allow us to do that. But Steve, I got to ask you a question. Because because uh, it's frankly, it's why I come on the show often to get your advice. You framed as the number one question in the 2016 election, who was going to be the corrupt defender of the status quo and who was going to be the agent of change. You set that as the question. We won the election. As you sit here today with, you know, polling all over the place, what do you think is the number one question, the most elegant and principled frame that we can put before the voters in 2020? I think it's I think it's still the exact same. I think Joe Biden and the Democrats are still the elite. They're in business with the Chinese Communist Party and, and, and basically running the business model of the party of Davos. I mean, he's the center. He's the concierge from Wilmington, Delaware, which is the heart of all these global corporations. Got a, fen a friendly uh, uh, federal courthouse there that always f rules in their favor. This is what Joe Biden represents. It's the exact same thing. Donald Trump, you know, he's got he's had lots of successes, he's had some failures, but he keeps hammering every day about this. To me, it hasn't changed because it's going to take more than one term to change. It's going to take more than two terms to change it. One day when we have a president, Matt Gates, you know, a couple of uh, a couple of terms from now, you'll see that it took us a long time to get there. But that, look, we've had 40 or 50 years of decline. You got to reverse that. And that's what this is going to take. To me, it already find even closer. And that's where we have Dr. Yan in the next hour is that the Chinese Communist Party is in back of this pandemic. You saw today the economic inferno it's causing our country. The president, to me, should get very focused on say, hey, this is about the Chinese Communist Party. And if you want to see cultural Marxism, anarchy, revolution throughout the world, just look at Portland, Oregon, look at Seattle. It's all part of the same thing. It's all whole cloth. 
and we ought to be attacking safety of the American people, safety of our economy, and confront the Chinese Communist Party. I don't think things have changed. I think actually, I think actually, the, now they're they're tripling down because Joe Biden is as bad or worse than Hillary Clinton as far as being a globalist, and he can be a faux populist up there in Scranton, Pennsylvania. But it's all nonsense. And to me, it's got to be called out. And, and Matt, here's what I find most interesting. Tony Blinken and Jake Sullivan, none of these guys, will. They, nobody comes back on Trump's war plan against the Chinese Communist Party, which Barr, Pompeo, uh, Ray, and O'Brien have laid out in very succinct terms. There's crickets from the other side about confronting this. And let me ask you this question then. You, you presented that frame at these big, energetic, massive populist rallies. What is the 2020 replacement for that, because I found that to be an essential sort of stagecraft that allowed us to execute on that vision. Listen, I think the rallies are very important, but we're in a very different time. I actually think the president ought to be out every day going to factories about bringing jobs back. I thought what Kodak, what happened at Kodak was incredible. I would have loved to have the president up there in the factory floor when he went to North Carolina the other day, say, hey, we're getting ahead of the manufacturing of the delivery system for vaccines. Donald Trump's a businessman. He's always thinking downrange. I would say right now, particularly with unemployment like we had today, get, do the rallies in your factories. Get out there and show you're bringing the supply chains back and then just get online. Use technology. we got so many sophisticated people on, on our side of the football about that. Do your rallies digitally. What they want to hear is what they want to see is being driven by action. I think the time for rhetoric is, uh, is over. It's action, action, action. Okay, President Steve, Trump we're going to take a us. quick break here. We'll be right back. As always, action, action, action. Very sad news for our listeners. Herman Cain has died from the CCP virus. A great American, a great patriot, a great entrepreneur, and a great role model. Prayers up for a great American. War Room Pandemic with Stephen K. Bannon. The epidemic is a demon, and we cannot let this demon hide. War Room. Pandemic. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. Jack Maxey sitting in the catbird seat here. This is episode 307, July 30th, the year of our Lord. War Room Pandemic. I'm going to hand it over to Stephen K. Bannon. A great American, Herman Cain, is dead because of the CCP virus. You've got anarchy in the streets on a direct attack on the rule of law in Portland, Oregon. You've got the worst uh, uh, collapse of the American economy, even greater than the Great Depression, just announced this quarter, another 1.4 million Americans in unemployment. We're living through turbulent times, probably the most turbulent times in modern American history. Who's going to see us through this are the entrepreneurs. If you're an entrepreneur, you're going to be the tip of the spear that gets us through this. You need every tool in your toolbox, and the tool you need most is NetSuite by Oracle. Remember, Oracle's number one on the cloud. NetSuite's number one with entrepreneurs. Go to netsuite.com slash Bannon, B-A-N-N-O-N, and get your tour and seven action steps every entrepreneur should be taking. Okay, up on the, you see the book, Matt Gates Firebrand, it comes out in September. Order it now. That's a young man to keep an eye on. He's got no back down to him. I know a lot of people think he's got rough edges. We love the rough edges because he's smart, he's tough, and he's relentless. And that's what you need in these revolutionary times, and they are revolutionary. Don't take it from me. Take it from David Rifkin, one of the senior smartest guys in Washington, D.C. He said, the virus of Antifa in the Chinese Communist Party, this Marxism spread throughout the world, is more dangerous than the Chinese Communist Party's pandemic virus. 
that we're going to get to with Dr. Yan in the next segment. I now want to bring on an American who's standing up to the Chinese Communist Party and holding them accountable. Jana Bianca from the American Bond Foundation, tell, Bondholders Foundation. Tell us about the, the Financial Times, the, the uh, tip sheet for the party at Davos had a fantastic article about you the other day and your efforts to get the Chinese Communist Party to pay their debts. I get, let's put the bond up there. It was just fantastic. I know it wasn't a super long article, but man, it cut to the heart of it, brought some new voices into this fight. Jonna, tell our audience exactly what's going on in your efforts to defend the deplorables. Well, bottom line, this is sovereign debt. Sovereign debt does not expire. President Donald J. Trump has got to get tough on China. We need action, action, action. Um, this is a debt that China owes Americans. Our economy, our people are dying. Our economy has lost trillions of dollars. Um, and this is simple sovereign debt. Americans pay their bills and their debts, and China needs to be held to account to do the same. Uh, this isn't complicated. It's a matter of holding China accountable. Stop pandering to Wall Street. Stop pandering to the globalists and the elites. China's house of cards, the CCP's house of cards, will collapse and make the world a very much safer place if we stop the double set of standards for China and they play by the same rules, cut them off capital markets, and hold them accountable to pay their sovereign debt, their defaulted bonds to the American people. We have 20,000 citizens in 46 states that are owed money from the Communist Chinese Party. It needs to be paid. And President Donald J. Trump, who says he's a law and order president, who says he's an America first president, he needs to hold them accountable. We need action. Now, listen, I understand you're, you're a big believer in MAGA, huge supporter of the president. The Financial Times, I thought the article was very even handed, right? And it actually talked about the net present value of what you guys are owed over a trillion dollars. It talked about had this great professor from from uh, Duke University, who I know you don't have a relationship with, that said, hey, I think they've got some legal claims here. What specific actions do you guys want to see from the administration today? Today, the president needs to direct his Treasury Secretary, Steve Mnuchin, to conduct a transaction with the American Bondholders Foundation. He has the paperwork. The holdup is Steve Mnuchin uh, uh, protecting China, protecting Wall Street, protecting his globalist elitist buddies. He needs to instruct Secretary Mnuchin to do the transaction with the American Bondholders Foundation for the benefit of the American people for hundreds of billions of dollars, over a trillion dollars that China owes. It is that simple. Yeah, those, this is, uh, excuse the plane right overhead, it's better than the ferry, right? Uh, that's pretty harsh words for the Treasury Department. You think the Treasury Department is the holdup here? Absolutely. Absolutely it is. It is Secretary Steve Mnuchin. Um, it is uh, the globalist, elitist, pla uh, pandering uh, to Wall Street, uh, to Wall Street firms, those wanting to do business in China, um, and protecting their dollar while the American people suffers all the way across the board. That is the holdup. It is legal. It's in the law. This is a simple deal, a simple transaction. We're basically paying China with their very own paper instead of sending $72 million a day of American taxpayers' dollars while China uses that to buy corruption around the world build up their military base in the South China Seas and continue the lies and lies and deception across the world. 
Um, we have seen they don't uh, adhere to any agreements, to any regulation, uh, Securities and Exchange Commission regulation, trading on our Wall Street, um, and they're pulling trillions of dollars against the American people. You take the dollars away, you hold them accountable to pay their bills, pay their debt, and that house of cards for the Chinese Communist Party will fall. How can people get more access to, to, to your argument and, and to find out who, who, the, who the, uh, the typical Americans that you represent, how do they get access and learn more about this? Because I think this is going to get to be a bigger and bigger topic every day that goes by. AmericanBondholdersFoundation.com is our website, at ABFUSA is our Twitter, and ABF Bondholder is our Facebook account. The American people need to tell President Donald J. Trump, hold China accountable. This benefits every American across the board. The buck stops here and now. Uh, we're mad. We're angry. We're not going to take it anymore. China must be held accountable across the board. Thank you very much for joining us today. Look forward to having you back. Great article in the Financial Times. You're doing great work. Now getting a hearing everywhere. Thank Jack, you. Jack, uh, I don't know how much time I don't know how much time we got left, but I got to tell you this: uh, knowing that uh, that uh, Herman Cain died is uh, is a real blow to the conservative movement. This guy was a revered, revered guy, presidential candidate uh, at one time, led in the polls. I think back in uh, 2012, and a huge supporter of the uh, of the Tea Party movement. Uh, do we have any other details? about Herman Cain and his death. We don't really. We know that he fought for over a month to fight the disease, but he passed away this morning, and it's a real tragedy for the whole world. And I recommend any parents out there, Herman Cain is a guy your kids should be reading up on. This guy's story is a real Horatio Alger American story, and he's a, just a fabulous man. We're sorry to lose him. We've got to go to a break. We're going to be back in I know Vish. I don't two minutes, but uh, we'll be back shortly with Stephen K. Bannon and Dr. Yan from Hong Kong in one moment.